0: Hi, this is Dr. Hughes, and though it's only been a couple of episodes that I've recorded with you, I have been just flabbergasted at the response. Um, I've had so many listeners for these different podcasts, and I'm feeling a connection to a lot of you, even though I've only spoken with a few of you. But knowing that there are so many therapists and uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that are looking for further education and insight on matters of sexuality is making me feel extremely connected to to each of you out there that are listening. And I felt a little neglectful over the weekend. However, Saturdays are my day off, my day with my family. I really try to d- devote to to that time with them, and uh, Sundays uh, are are kind of that you know taken sacred day and although i i thought about uh, some recordings that i wanted to produce for all of you and that have shown so much interest in changing our cultural n- narrative to a sex positive one so uh, i'm just very grateful and have been very cognizant of you and mindful of all of you that are, are out there and just so so amazed by the response uh, from recording these episodes. So uh, once again, please feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions or topics that you'd like me to discuss or provide some insight about um, or if, uh, if there's anything else that, that I can help you with. I'd love to be that resource for all of you that are out there. Um, so I just got back from BYU. I, I was teaching, it's called the Analysis and Treatment of Sexual Dysfunction, to graduate students in the Marriage and Family Therapy program. And Monday mornings are always so much fun for me. We have a two and a half hour class where we just talk about sexuality and its impact and had two great Uh, presenters and uh, several wonderful discussions um, related to their clients and to uh, typical presenting problems in sex therapy. But today, I I kind of want to dovetail off of the last episode from Friday and talk a little bit about uh, the, the fetal development in utero. We're going to be talking about some sexual education, things like pre ejaculate, nocturnal emissions, uh, uh things like vasocongestion and um and then just just some other little psychoeducation pieces that I thought would be really helpful for for all of you listeners. Um and then Probably tomorrow, I'll move into talking about the different phases of the sexual response cycle. So today, I'll kind of give a broad overview of the sexual response cycle and some of the general features there and two different uh, or competing sexual response cycles. And then tomorrow, we'll move into the, the specifics of each phase of the sexual response cycle for both men and then women. So... With the, with the fetal sexual development, what, what happens in utero as a fetus is developing is that there are, um, we call them, prenatal homologous structures. And these prenatal homologous structures form in, into either a male or a female fetus. And, and so there's, you know, it's a process. It's not just from one day to the next. But as this process occurs, what happens for for the, the male fetus is there develops the gland's penis or the head of the penis. I talked about that last time. The urethral folds and then uh, what we call labial scrotal swelling. And in the female, there's some other things that happen, but those are the the most important ones for us to be aware of. And and for the female, what develops is the glands clitoris, or as we call it, the clitoris, the urethral folds, and the labioscrotal swelling. And um, as these stages of sexual development continue, the male, for the male fetus... Uh, what happens is uh, it develops into scrotal swe- swelling which becomes the the scrotum um, and uh, within the scrotum or a, a lot of people call it um, like a lay term is like the 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 ball sac um, but it's it 's called the scrotum, which houses or holds the testes or the testicles um, and for the female, what devel- develops is the labia majora. And the labia minora, or what a lot of people in, using lay terms refer to as the, the lips of the vagina. Um, and the labia majora and minora, you can differentiate those by the different type of skin texture. The labia minora, or the, the inside um, labia or lips of the vagina, have more of a belly button type of, of skin tone and texture so uh, that that's what's happening as as these uh, as each of us are are developing in utero um, and it's it's for a significant purpose and what's fascinating and just amazing to me about this um, i mean just just as the fetus develops, there's so many miraculous things that take place but what's so exciting and and fun for me to think about and hopefully for all of you to think about is that men and women are basically have all of the same sexual anatomy it just gets formed in different ways and, um, and 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 that makes us highly unique in the way in which this this sexual anatomy forms so it just helpful for you to be able to think about and you to be aware of as we're we're going on this journey of of sexual enlightenment, of um switching to more of a sex positive sexual culture um as a as a people. A couple other topics that I wanted to discuss, discuss are pre-ejaculate Nocturnal emi- and nocturnal emissions for, for men. Uh, a pre-ejaculate is, um, in lay terms, people refer to it as pre-cum. And and what it is is it's basically the the urethra serves two functions. Urine goes through through the urethra, and then sperm or uh, sperm along with seminal fluid um, goes through the urethra as well. But if there is not a cleansing and cleaning of the urethra, basically changing the pH levels and reducing acidity, then the sperm would would die or potentially become um, hindered in some way. And so what happens is uh, the male, prior to orgasm and ejaculating, has a pre-ejaculate, which essentially serves the function of cleaning the, the urethra. And, um, and so that, that happens and there is a fluid that's dispelled and then, um, de- depending on the sexual encounter and on the individual moments later or even, uh, sometimes quite a while later or maybe not at all, the, the male then, uh, ejaculates and has a, has an orgasm and ejaculates. Uh, orgasm and ex- ejaculation often happen together but are not the same, same thing, um, I did think that it would be important to mention that a woman can get pregnant from a pre-ejaculate, excuse me, or from pre-cum, as there's often uh, spermatic fluid, sperm that exists there. And sperm can live uh, in the woman or in the male body, um you know all throughout the the tract of being expelled can live in the male body um outside of where it's normally housed in the testes um so in in the uh the urethra or uh, um in the female body um for several days and and so um it's important to be aware of that a woman can get pregnant from this pre ejaculate now I, I want to talk for a moment about nocturnal emissions. A lot of people refer to these as wet dreams, which is basically an orgasm and ejaculation. Um, but most of the time, uh, well, I guess it's hard to know if there is an orgasm and ejaculation. But um, in most instances, it's an orgasm and ejaculation that happens for the male during um, a sleep cycle, and and so. Um, a seminal fluid can be found on um, undergarments or garments of, of the male, and, and a lot of times that's how they know if they've had a, a nocturnal emission. What this is is basically the body's way of regulating sperm and other fluid that is developed for um, for sexual functioning. Um, you know, if the sperm were to be housed inside of the male body for an... Um, an a really extended period of time, it would not be good for the sperm. So the sperm just, the body has its way of cleaning itself out. And that's what happens is there's a nocturnal emission that occurs and it just keeps the man healthy. Um, all right. I want to, I want to move to, um, Oh, uh, another topic. Before we move on to to um, female sexual functioning, another topic for men. Uh, it's really important. So uh, for all for. Um, our entire body to have blood flow through it and so oftentimes what will happen for men or couples will come in and they'll talk about um, the husband having an erection in the morning or the husband having an erection at night or um, different things like that or a man might come in and ask why is it that every time I wake up I have an erection what happens is the body needs to keep itself vital and alive and if there's not blood flowing to all parts of the body um, and then that's highly dangerous and um, and so what happens is his, um Heavenly Father has created us in such a way that he makes sure that blood flows throughout all of our body, the penis for the man being included, same with the vulva for, for the women and the clitoris for the women. However, it's a lot more obvious and apparent with that blood flow for, for men because there's several um, inches of, uh, of blood that has filled the, the erection. And so it's a lot more obvious than... Um, then the smaller changes you see with clitoral erection, uh, clitoral, uh, we call it vasocongestion. Vasocongestion is blood flow to the sexual anatomy. And so for women, the what happens with this vasocongestion is you have blood flowing to the vulva and it re- results in the increased size and uh, tone of the labia. Uh, which can can definitely augment uh arousal uh for the vulva and for the clitoris for the for for the woman's sexual experience um, um but during night it's um you know a, a lot of people are kind of not sure what to think of that um think of getting erections throughout the night or. Um, maybe even feeling uh, concerned about getting erections throughout the day, but that's such a healthy, normal part of the male experience and the female experience, it's vital to keep the all parts of, of one's body alive and so Heavenly Father has designed it in such a way that that's, that's what happens and there are lots of studies that look at how many uh, times throughout the day a man experiences vasocongestion or blood flow to the penis to, to one degree or another um, and it's just this uh, normal healthy process that happens and is more obvious for men but it happens for women as well if there was not blood flowing to let's say your toes you would lose your toes and same thing with, with every part of your body um, but men are a little bit more aware of it because of that external nature of their sexual genitalia um, or, or maybe more obvious nat- external nature of the male genitalia because female genitalia are um, external as well parts of them are, but they're just not as obvious or as protruding, um, I want to move on now to the sexual response cycle, and there's a lot of topics I wanted to cover today, and uh, the sexual response cycle is one of them. Masters and Johnson uh, developed a linear sexual response cycle, which is kind of how most people in the world think about sexual functioning. They think of, and there's different terms and different um, theorists that have come out with various terms, but essentially there's an arousal. An orgasm and a resolution is what Masters and jo- Johnson found um, with the sexual response cycle. Basically, there's this idea that they postulate that everyone experiences arousal, orgasm, and resolution. And it's that linear process. And it, that's how it happens for uh, for men and for women, um, speaking to uh, the sexual response cycle. Um, and you can see it's a lot more... Uh, um, physiologically, biologically based uh, than, um, than maybe a social scientist may, con- may conceive the sexual response cycle. And, um, but that's how a lot of people think about it, that uh, we experience one and then it moves to the next and then it moves to the, to the resolution. We experience arousal, physiological arousal then we experience an orgasm and then we experience a resolution and other people along the way like i've said have added um other stages like a plateau stage or a moment of ejaculatory inevitability you know concept um which is is um that concept is is true for men at some point there's a moment of ejaculatory inevitability meaning that arousal has increased so much so that orgasm will happen and ejaculation will happen no matter if sexual intercourse or touch stops or continues It's it's going to happen and the same thing for women except for we call it something else it's not the moment of ejaculatory inevitability it's the moment of orgasmic inevitability in which and orgasm is going to happen, whether or not stimulation continues. So along the way, a, uh, a, a researcher, a therapist by the name of Helen Singer Kaplan came along, and she said that there was a, a vital piece missing from Masters and Johnson's sexual response cycle, and she, she named it DESIRE desire being different from physiological arousal, desire is the interest or intrigue or, uh, motivation or longing or yearning for some form of sexual intimacy. And she said that that is so highly important and needs to be included. And, and I, uh, and, and the whole world has, has agreed with that, um, and included that even though, um, we've, we've, changed a little bit from um still her model which is still a linear model so hers just has desire and then something like arousal orgasm and resolution um but that desire is such an an, an important piece for everyone really not just not just men or not just women but um for both men and women to have this more psychological desire longing yearning um thinking of the other and is so inherent in most of our experiences. However, this didn't quite fit for a lot of people, and a researcher by the name of Rosemary Basson came along and said, basically, this model doesn't fit. This model is linear. It's basically built off of you know this um, biological, physiological construct of of sexual functioning. And it's been seen too much as a biological process. And she said, there, there's so much more that's going on here. There's this more of a psychological piece. And, and this is really what a lot of um, therapists that, that, um, that do sex therapy, a lot um, more of the way that, that uh, therapists and social scientists see the sexual response cycle. And it's a nonlinear sexual response cycle. And it starts with emotional intimacy. And this emotional intimacy or um, um, context of the relationship engenders um, a state of mind that makes that allows for sexual stimulation to be um, arousing or desirable. And therefore results in a relationship satisfaction. So in this um, in this model, an orgasm may happen, an orgasm may not happen. Increased arousal um, is is uh, will ensue, but does not necessarily have to result in an orgasm. And I'm simplifying this. If you want to look more uh, up at Rosemary Basson's sexual response cycle, I would uh, I would really encourage you to do so. Um, but what happens is within the context of the overall couple. Relationship, relationship um, with this emotional intimacy this emotional connection um, it allows someone to be open to sexual stimuli and then with sexual stimuli occurring and this could be a wide range of se- sexual stimuli it doesn't have to be just sexual touch it could be uh, verbal it could be um, just contemplating, fantasizing thinking about, it could be um, you know soft kisses passionate kisses, highly erotic or um, highly vulnerable Um, but they're open to the sexual stimuli and as the sexual stimuli occurs um, their arousal increases and then their desire uh, um, is populated or or, um, increases as well and this leads to more arousal and high relationship satisfaction And, um, and what can happen is orgasm along the way So, uh, some of the hallmarks for. uh, Let me just mention this first before I talk about these hallmarks. Uh, Rosemary Basson's model fits for so many women. I've had so many people that will call in to schedule an appointment, and I get too excited about um, helping people. And um, so I've I've had this call uh, conversation um, too often with people where they call in and they you know they get into a little bit of what's going on, a little bit of their their struggles that they're having with their spouse, and I'll say I want you to do something before you come into your appointment. You know, we we got you scheduled, but before you come in, I want you to look up Rosemary Basson's sexual response cycle. And I'll go into detail and I'll talk about it as I've done here. And and I'll say, "Sounds like what you're saying it fits more within that model versus this other model." And then I'll tell them about the other model and they'll say, "Oh, that's it. That's it. You you've you've got it. I thought but I thought something was wrong with me. I thought I was I thought I was different. I thought I was broken. I thought I wasn't as good as uh, my other women or as my spouse, and um, really what it is is the, the world has conceived some sexual scripts for how men and women are sexually, how they respond sexually, and it fits for some people, and it doesn't fit for others. And Rosemary Basson's model is not just for women. It was initially created for women, kind of called the female sexual response cycle, but it's been adopted as the sexual response cycle by mental health therapists. Well, at least those that are that are in the know. Um, and so this is how it is for for men and women across the board. Just about um, more of them identify with this, although it's a little bit easier to talk about sexual dysfunctions in terms of the the linear model. Um, uh, but so some of the hallmarks, and, um, and I'm, just about, I'm just about done today, I have just a little bit more I want to talk about, but these hallmarks of, the, of Bassan's model is that uh, that the individual is open to or receptive or makes a choice uh, or decision to be arousable or to be open to, to arousal. And I've talked with so many couples, and especially women in our culture being the lower desire partner, generally speaking, and generally being more of the non-linear sexual response cycle versus the male linear sexual response cycle. I've, I've said, can you think of a time that you, you guys have, have had sex or been sexual and it was just so enjoyable? And they'll say, yeah. And I'll say, okay. Now, along the way... <clears throat> excuse me, along the way, was there a decision or choice that you made to be open to sexual arousal? And they'll think for a second. They'll say, yeah, yeah, there was definitely a choice. You know, I decided to be all in. And um, and this, uh, this is such a key factor in the sexual response cycle for both men and women. But um, a lot of times women, there's more of this decision or choice to allow in not that they can flip a switch, but to allow allow in arousal or the ability to be arousable um, let's see I don't know if there's any more I want to say about that before I move on um okay um so so let me let me say um one last well. Let me say a couple uh, a couple more things in the one for today. Um, you see this with both men and women, but a little bit more with women in our culture, um, where there's an ebb and flow of of sexual arousal. And the sexual scripts that are out there in the world basically say that it builds. And if it's not building, it's it's and the arousal is going down, then that's a negative, that that's non-desirable, that that's um not how it should be. But there's a lot of research, and there's research with men, too. Um, for instance, there's research that says that during a, a normal sexual encounter, men will experience a, a gain and lose an erection. In a 45-minute sexual encounter, they'll gain and lose an erection three times. Now, in, our, in, in the world, we are not going to talk about um, uh, male sexual dysfunction, because men, I guess, are we're a little too sensitive and we don't want uh, people in the world to think that we are not studs or um these Male sexual robots, I guess, and and so we won't talk about our our vulnerabilities or our, or our weaknesses or um, times when things didn't go well. But that's how it's been for so long. There's you know the locker room talk is is never going to be oh yeah me and this girl or me and my wife were doing X Y and Z and I lost my erection. That will you you won't hear that in a locker room. You won't hear that on a golf course or a basketball uh, court. Um, men, uh, but, but women will talk more about that, about uh, the ebb and flow of arousal. And, and sadly, a lot of people, men and women, say or feel that that means that they are not sexual, that they're doing something wrong, that it's not enjoyable. But that's just the normal process of the sexual response cycle, this ebb and flow, this arousal, this waxing and waning. And and so um, when we start to think about it in, those, in that way, then it takes away anxiety and takes away performance anxiety and al- allows for um, a fulfilling sexual encounter. And performance anxiety is a killer of sexual arousal. When somebody starts thinking about, oh my goodness, my erection's going away, or or my good oh, oh my goodness, my penis is is, is soft now, or oh shoot um, i I lost it. I was building and gaining my arousal, and then I got distracted and and now I lost it if they allow those um, those ebbs to overcome them or to seem um, out of the ordinary or to seem as a deterrent. Then they will, in fact, overcome them, but if they see those as part of the sexual response cycle as normal as as the way that it that it happens oftentimes, then it no longer becomes a roadblock and it just becomes part of the process, and they move quickly um, they move to a different state, so maybe they're uh, dealing with the um, the ebb of the ebb and flow and they move to doing something else sexually and before too long the arousal's back and it's at a heightened state and then they move to intercourse or some other form of sexual um, engagement and um, and nothing really is, is skips a beat. All right, so I'm going to talk about pleasure versus orgasm. And then let's talk about spectatorship. Okay. Um, well, let's talk about spectatorship first because it kind of goes hand in hand with what we just talked about, um, you know, focusing this performance, uh, performance anxiety. So a lot of times what I see for men is, um, you get this with some women, but they're not as um, hyper-focused on this or hyper-vigilant about this because they, they don't have as much um, shame around performance as men do because men, um, don't talk about, um, uh, just mediocre or less than desirable sexual encounters or when things don't go their way, they don't because they don't talk about those sexual occurrences. Um, they, there's so much fear and anxiety about pr- performance. The, these factors are, are larger, um, uh, larger, uh, factors for for men in sexual functioning. And they are monitoring and spectatorship. So men will monitor their sexual arousal, they'll monitor their partner's sexual arousal, and they become a spectator through this monitoring to the sexual encounter. And unless you're voyeuristic and there are unhealthy forms of voyeurism, and there are healthy forms of voyeurism, and we can go into that more detail at a different time, Um, but unless you're more voyeuristic, where you like viewing a sexual encounter, monitoring arousal is not going to be arousing, um, is not going to build the arousal, and will cause exactly what one's trying to avoid. So ideas of, will I, will I have an orgasm? Will I reach this orgasm? Those questions are not pleasurable. Um, those are not going to facilitate arousal, and we'll do much the opposite. So last thing for today um, is shifting the focus to pleasure versus orgasm. Um, so with Rosemary Basson's sexual response cycle, hopefully what you're gleaning is that um, emotional intimacy and is all of this needs to be nested within emotional intimacy, and I could even say, uh, go as far as to say, physical intimacy, emotional intimacy, spiritual intimacy. You know all these different forms that we connect and and we become de- deeply uh, rooted in another and rooted in our relationship. That's where sexuality needs to be derived from, come from, and within that. We'll find arousal. We'll find desire, and and um, and what we chase after. This is key. What we chase after is not orgasm, as you see through uh, you know media and you hear through media. What we chase after is pleasure. What we chase after is connection. What we chase after is uh, is a deep spiritual experience. Deep maybe even erotic but still connecting experience which is is experienced for us for us you and your your spouse or partner as a spiritual encounter as a as a sacrament of of your marriage so even the highly erotic and dare I say um you know not even but um uh, maybe oftentimes the highly erotic is Deeply connecting, deeply spiritual, and so we chase after pleasure. if orgasm happens, well, wonderful um you know that's 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 great, but what makes it enjoyable is not necessarily the orgasm uh, orgasm, which can can be and is a fun and wonderful, but if we chase after pleasure, then we will always be satisfied, then we do not have to worry about performance, then we leave feeling close. We leave feeling connected and as a byproduct, just a little aside, orgasm is actually way more likely when it's not being focused on. When it's focused on and it's it's the goal, it's the objective, it becomes a lot harder to achieve. But it, when it's one of the things that may occur or might be nice to have from time to time, then it actually is is a lot more likely. But our focus needs to be on that uh, fostering emotional intimacy, making sure that we are cultivating our, our, our desire and our expression of sexuality in our life, and then on pleasure. And pleasure will look different from encounter to encounter and from couple to couple. That's it for me today. This is just a therapist sitting in an armchair talking about sex. I'll talk to you tomorrow.